gotta put this over here. Nope, nope, that's not it. God dang it. Thomas, where's the play button? Ladies and gentlemen, this is the live Alright guys, welcome back to the live period. We have our friend Richie Riley on the show today. How are we doing? Doing great, guys. I appreciate you all having me on. I've been watching all the all the episodes and, and it, they've been incredible. So I, I'm extremely grateful to get to come on. Uh, you've, got, you've had some people that are way more famous than me on here, so I appreciate you. Come on now, come Nothing on. Another dog sure. like me, come on and, and talk some hopes and, and whatever else we'll be talking about. Come on now, man. Well, I'm, a, I'm excited to have you on here. Uh, you know, we've known each other for a while now. As soon as uh, you went down and and uh, took the reins in Nichols State there, I think, I think kind of, that was, that was when I first – I think it was really when I first started doing stuff and it was like, you, you were the coach that picked up the phone. So I guess that's why we're friends. <laughs> no, I was talking about players. I'll pick it up no matter what. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I've regretted picking it up with certain people, but definitely not you. Uh, no, I, I, I can remember when you started the whole Juco advocate and, and started doing everything that you're doing. And, and I was like, man, this is really intriguing, but then it's continued to grow and just has became, an incredible thing for junior college basketball. Uh, I appreciate you're the biggest that. advocate that that they have. I mean, you'll you'll fight tooth and nail for junior college basketball. <laughs> Since I've been coaching, I'm sure it wasn't done before that. Uh, it hadn't been a thing. I mean, you yeah. see the merchandise, um, the videos, the events, the the constant updates on Twitter of what's going on. That's never happened. Or whatever it, crazy it, crap I'm thinking about that day. <laughs> it's been really great. That, that somebody that you took the initiative to go into that market and help so many kids and help so many programs because some of the best basketball in the country is at the junior college level. And, yeah, and I know that how much you appreciate it. And I've always appreciated it. I've never coached at the junior college level, but I've recruited really hard my whole career and know a ton of guys that are elite coaches. Yeah. And as you see, we saw the NBA finals, Jimmy Butler and Jay Crowder, both Juco dudes. First player you and I ever talked about was a Juco kid, Kamani Jackson. Yeah, it was. It was. He ended up helping us win a championship. Yeah, he did. <laughs> no, I, I've always I've always had a love for junior college basketball, and I love what you're doing for it. No, I appreciate you, my friend. Well, we're going to kind of dive into a few different things here today. We're going to we're gonna start off talking about uh, what makes Richie Riley the coach that he is today. You know, I kind of – whenever I title these episodes or put things together and, and it just – you know, I was thinking about – uh, you know, for those that don't know Richie, you know, we're talking about a, a high energy coach here. Like this, this is a dude that I just love watching coach. I love hanging out with. I love being around. I love having conversations with because it's just such a genuine energy that you bring. So we're going to talk a little bit about your coaching path to where you're at now. And uh, for all the uh, the fans of the show out there, we're going to have some trivia for Thomas and, and coach here. And uh, Thomas is locked in and loaded and ready. Um I think I think he lost the last one to to Perk on on somewhat of a technicality, but um, you know he's ready he's ready to go. Here's a, he's a comeback kid, and hey. and then we'll kind of dive a little bit into some current events. We got some stuff to talk about with transfers and everybody getting a year back, and you yeah, know well, I hear they're going to add a third basket now. I don't know, you know. <laughs> 
10 uh, point shot. I'm pumped. <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff. That's, that's hey, if there's a 10-point shot, we'll find a kid that can make it. It's <laughs> a wild year, man. There's no telling what we might add. Oh, man, you ain't lying. You hey, B, I'm just – I'm excited that we have a Southern boy on. I'm This this Alabama kid hearing that Southern twang with Coach Riley, man, it's uh, it's a good thing. With my with my family down in Biloxi now and uh, Gaucher and all that parts of the Gulf, um, got a few friends that actually hit me up via text and were like, hey – Coach Riley's a guy, man. We watch him. Like, he's actually in the game sometimes, we think. He's so energetic. So, it's uh, – you're doing some great things down there, Coach, in Get South in that Alabama. Box, coach. I appreciate it. They're, they're living in good country down there, man. Gaucher and, and Biloxi, it's good country. I, when a, a Juco kid I coached that's one of my favorite players ever is from Gaucher, Lafayette Rutledge. Oh, yeah. Lafayette. Played, played for Thomas down there at, at – um, at Southwest Mississippi was was a huge part of our championship team at Nichols and yep it uh, I've I've been in Biloxi a lot and you know not in the casinos but I've been down <laughs> and I hear they're wonderful I love it down there. yeah well and you know me Thomas I always got to pander to our guests so the the only thing that, that was that was somewhat Richie Riley associated that I, I went with the Kentucky Colonels tonight for, Ooh, for the like Kentucky that. boy over there so. I am a Kentucky through and through and through. We got to take care of our guests, but well, let's, uh, let's just kind of back up. Um, you know, coach, coach Riley, I, I don't know how many people actually know this. I got to say, I didn't know this until I started researching coach Riley did play division one basketball. Uh, yeah. coach Riley. Call it that. Say what? You call it that. Me play. Hey, you scored a point in division one basketball. I did. I hit a free throw against Tennessee tech. There it is. I couldn't. Oh, I couldn't find who it was against. Yeah, Tennessee Tech actually had a really good team, um, really good, and they were blowing us out. It was a home game, and I got in a little garbage time. Coach Ford threw me in there a little garbage time, and I, um, I made a free throw, made one, missed one, and sure. you know the funny thing is, I I started to log some minutes down the stretch. And I still got this video. This is a fact. Nobody believes this. And it wouldn't have came to fruition, but I can still say it could now. But at the end of the year on the Travis Ford show, they were doing a year in review. And he's quoted on there saying, next year, Richie Riley could be our starting point guard. Ooh, one shining moment video. And Matt Witt came in, and the rest is history. But I hung it up and started coaching after, after one season because – that's been my dream since I was eight. So I felt like I was ready to do it. And I'm glad that I did because it's helped me be where I am today. It seems to have worked out all right, I think. Yeah. But yeah. I did. I was a Division One player. Heck I, I yeah, see it better every year that passes when I tell my team. <laughs> you know. Just tell them, you you know, I, I looked you up on the, the the basketball reference site here, a svelte 6'1", 180 at the yes. time. Yes, And uh, Still uh, 6'1", 180, just a little <laughs> bit. A little flabbier in some areas, but still sticking to 180. I'm still right there. A little flabbier, but I, I'm – You and me both, brother. I'm playing weight. You and me both. And uh, and a rebounding and assist machine at the guard position, per your yeah. per 40 stats. So Very very cerebral. Very yeah. cerebral. <laughs> very cerebral. I on my mind more than Blue my guy. And yeah. um, could make a shot. You don't grow up in Kentucky and not be able to shoot a little bit. No. And no. Could, could think the game, but – you know, I, I played in the mountains of Kentucky growing up, country, you know, in a country region, and, and basketball is king in Kentucky. And it was – we had we played in front of 5,000, 6,000 um, in regular season high school games. 
Wow. So I thought I was like a dude, you know, I was out there. I was averaging 20 something. I was an all state player. I thought I could really hope. And then I got to the division one level and I realized <laughs> it's a little bit different than the mountains. Of Kentucky. And things were moving a little faster. And so was but, it after you start, was it after you got to Eastern Kentucky that you realized coaching was what you wanted to do or had you thought about it before? I've wanted to coach since I was eight years old. And it's a funny story. When I was eight years old, I asked for a dry erase board, um, a court. And I asked for that for Christmas, and my parents got it for me. And I used to draw up actions and act like I was coaching, you know, my little G.I. Joe men. And I would keep a scorebook and, you know, with real dudes. Like, I was really informed. Like, I would get the cat's paws. That's a thing in Kentucky. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. But it's like it has all the college stuff in it. And I would get – the blue ribbons and the, you know, whatever that was at the time, the athletes and all those. And I would know everything, um, wow. every player and recruits and this and that. So I would play all this stuff out in my mind. And you I was might really be screwed uh, in this trivia thing, Thomas. If, he, if he's, <laughs> I was if he's really, in like that, you might be in trouble, buddy. <laughs> I was really passionate about being a coach and I knew I loved playing too. And I was a really good high school player for my area. Right. And, and I, and I always knew I wanted to coach. I thought I wanted to be a high school coach because in Kentucky, high school basketball is it's, – it's the mecca of high school basketball. Not talent, but just a passion for loving high school hoops. Right. And um, I thought I would be a high school coach in Kentucky, and my dream was to be win a state championship. And it, it wasn't until I quit playing at Eastern and went to Georgetown College as a volunteer slash manager pretty much mm-hmm. um, that I realized I just – I was really – interested in being a college coach the recruiting aspect intrigued me uh, just just the level of it really intrigued me and that's when I first realized I wanted to coach at the college level so you went and volunteered at Georgetown which is NAIA right it is yeah with Happy Osborne uh, one of the one of the greatest ever do it to NAIA level phenomenal yeah, volunteered coach. for a heck of a heck of a ball coach yeah, and I was coaching I was coaching in the summer at Madison Central High School an AAU team a freshman AAU team and one of the assistants at Georgetown, Jason Mays, asked me if I – because I was coaching with some energy. I was coaching like the Final Four. And he asked me if I was interested in getting into college coaching, you know, in a volunteer role. And I was still in college at, at Eastern Kentucky. And I told him, yeah, that would be unbelievable. So I, I did that. And, and basically it entailed me driving 45 minutes every day one way and getting happy. I was born long John Silvers for – for his lunch before practice, <laughs> um, staying until, you know, nine or 10 and, and working and, you know, doing laundry and whatever anybody didn't want to do rebounding for dudes. And, and, you know, and then I would go back, go to bed, go to class, get up, do it again as soon as I was done. And that was my routine. And it, it was really good for me because at the NAI level, uh, it's something I tell young guys all the time at the NAI level, there's no restrictions on, what volunteer assistants can do, right. you know? I, so I would, anytime those guys wanted to go recruit and they would let me tag along and drive them, then I was the first one. I'd be like, yeah, I'll drive wherever, where are we going? And I would have my polo on. I'd be out there. Like I was like one of the better recruiters in the country. I had no clue what I was doing, <laughs> but I was getting to move around like, you know, and get experience and get to see some things that I wouldn't get to see if I was a, a manager at division one level or, or a graduate assistant at this level. For sure. Coach, that's it's it's interesting because so many coaches that I talk to and Brandon talked to and we've had on here that go the route that you have, 
and they've had so much success because they go with a different route, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with going division one and, and going up that route, but it seems like the guys that go NAIA or JUCO level and just really grind it out and have to do so many things. They really gain so much success and, and I don't know, just become really good, well-rounded coaches, you know, sooner than later, even though it might be 10 years, but you're like you, you're 37 and you're kicking butt. You've been in a lot of places, but all those steps have, have made you who you are. I appreciate that. I, yeah, I've been a journeyman. I've been a lot of places and, and I'm proud of every place that I've went. I wouldn't be the coach that I am now without it. Um, just like you said, it's allowed me to, to do everything. I mean, I've driven 15 passenger vans. I've washed clothes. I've swept floors. Uh, I've done, I've done pretty much everything. And, and it, it also gives you an appreciation for opportunities, any opportunity I've ever gotten, I've given every ounce of energy I have to it and, and kind of operated with a chip on my shoulder because I've had to come and get it. Nothing happened. I can't, I can't afford for us not to have a good year. I, don't, I mean, I, I can't afford, I, I didn't, I don't have anything, um, a safety net. Uh, I don't have a safety. I have to, you know, it's where burn the boats comes from the mantra that I live by and our teams live by is there, there is no safety net. We've got to find a way to succeed. And I've kind of operated like that my whole career. Yeah. So it's funny because anytime, you know, like if we're we're on one of these, uh, you know, group things that you and I've been on, or we're talking to other coaches and things like that. And, and, you know, I think some people kind of, uh, especially young coaches think of the whole, like, Hey, you gotta be willing to, you gotta, you know, the, the, you gotta's right. That we all go through as far as like, Hey, getting from point A to point B is not, is, is not this easy thing. And I think, I think sometimes a lot of guys think it's just so cliche that it's like, okay, you got to do this. And it's like, you know what, man, like every one of these guys, like, like a coach Riley that says, Hey, I'm, I'm volunteering. I'm driving the bus. I'm doing the laundry in the middle of the night. I'm doing whatever. Like, no, that's a thing. Like that's, that's a real, that's a real thing. There's not a lot of dudes that that just kind of trip over themselves into this business and wind up in the, in the position that you're in. It's. It, no, there's it, no question. There's um, the work is crazy. I, I always say this is, a, is there's golden tickets. I don't know if you've heard me say this before, but there's golden tickets in this profession. And, um, you know, one of them is a player ticket that, you know, you're a really good player. You were a really good player. It allows you opportunities Mm -hmm. sometimes without experience Um, or you have a really good player. And that allows guys to get to to skip some steps uh, without experience sometimes. Mm -hmm. And and then there's, you know, the as far as your family. The family team, if your dad was a big-time coach or is a big-time coach, then you have some opportunities that, you know, other guys may not have. And um, I don't have any golden tickets. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have any players. I wasn't a good player. My father's an electrician, um, retired now, and hardworking, great father, but he didn't have any experience in coaching. And I had to, I had to go get it. And, and I'm prone, too, to hire guys like that, too. I like to surround myself with guys that that have had to had to fight and scrap and and take the road less traveled sometimes because you know a lot of times man it means just so much more because the work you put in the time the energy all the things you've had to do to get there once you get there you don't you can't fail and um, I like to surround myself with guys like that was your dad big into basketball when you were growing up is that he was a really good athlete um, in high school he's actually voted 
the best athlete in our area of like the millennium when it turned, you know, the century or whatever, when it turned 2000, back when I was still in high school. Um, and, and he loves hoops. He, um, he was a great player, loves hoops. He coached me when I was younger, you know, as a, as a small child. Uh, but he never, never coached or anything. He's not like a junkie like me. Like I, as I'm telling you, as an eight year old, like I just, I fell in love with sports. Yeah. Specifically basketball. And getting, um, getting that whiteboard. Uh, yeah, I probably annoyed my coach. parents. All I wanted to talk about. That's, that was it. I wanted to watch every game. I used to I used to record um every game that was on TV on VHS. That was back in the day when you had the oh, man. VCR tapes. I've still got in my basement just boxes of VCR tapes, my basement at home in, in London, Kentucky, of games. Like, you know, I, I went and looked at them a few years ago, me and Jess and my boys were at the house. I was looking through them. There's, there's epic games, man. Like the Cincinnati Bob Huggins teams with, you know, DeMar Johnson and Kenyon Martin and those teams that were number one in the country playing against North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, just phenomenal games. And I kept them all, and I would watch them all the time. And uh, I just I just loved hoops, man. Always have. That's big time. Well, you know what's funny is I was looking through stuff in, in – my my Richie Riley story has always, uh, from from what everybody's talked to me about and stuff told me about you, and it always started with Pikeville. But didn't you go to Hawaii Pacific for a year? In between, I did. I did. how did that happen? So so it's a fun it's a funny story. I was I was at Georgetown, and there's a guy Kurt Young who's actually on my staff right now um, as director of recruiting here. He was assistant at Georgetown when I was a volunteer. So Kelly Wells, who's it was one of the greatest NAI coaches of all time at Pikeville. Um, he just, just stepped into the AD role there, but, but he was at Hawaii Pacific and got named the head coach. And I didn't know Kelly. He's a Kentucky guy though, but I didn't know him personally. Mm-hmm. And um, Kurt Young was really close with him. And Kurt went out there to be his top assistant and there was a position paying $8,000. <laughs> and I mean, obviously it's hard to find somebody to go to Hawaii for $8,000. Is living under a coconut tree for the year. Yeah, Kurt, <laughs> Kurt got me the job um, with Kelly and I went out there and I made $8,000 a year. I ran a credit card up six grand. And that was just to survive. That wasn't like any perks of living in Hawaii. It, the other thing too, is I was living in downtown Honolulu. I don't know if you all have been to Hawaii before, but downtown Honolulu is not the scene that you see on the movies and, no. and the shows. It, it's inner city. You know, it's rough. It was rough. And, and that's where I lived. And I was running this credit card up. I can remember my grandmother sent me, used to send me 20 bucks like every couple of weeks. And that she would she'd put in the card, it was for milk. Because milk got away <laughs> like $12 a gallon. <laughs> so she would send me money for milk. And um, I was out there for a year. And I, Kelly got the job at Pikeville, which was, was such a blessing. <laughs> and we ended up, and we came back and I was his top assistant at Pikeville. Um, Kurt went to Arkansas Tech with um with Downey that was Downey's mm-hmm. first time there and um he went out there and now Kurt's back with me he's been a high school coach he was assistant northern Kentucky at one time and he's a director recruiting for us here so I'll, I owe him a lot for getting me my first opportunity and, and hooking me up to Kelly because it ultimately led to those years at Pikeville yeah. where we, like, we were able to build that program there to what it became yeah because I mean Pike Pikeville is uh, like I said anytime I was talking to somebody else as you and I were getting to know each other and and stuff everybody's you know talking about about pikeville where uh you know you guys built that thing up into a 
into a monster. Um, yeah, it was awesome. It was, yeah, Kelly Wells is one of the best people you ever meet in your life. Great ball coach. And um, we, we were able to build it. And then he finished the job. I think a year after I left, I went, I left and went to ended up at Coastal, you know, with a short three week span at Fort Smith in between, but ended up at Coastal and um, he won a national championship. And then it became a perennial power of where they won 25 plus games every year and went to some final fours, elite eights, things like that. But it's uh, it's a special place up there. It's where I met my wife too. Uh, Pikeville, Pikeville was really good to me and it, it kind of jump started this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause your next, your next spot being, you know, coastal there with Cliff, uh, coach Cliff Ellis. And, uh, but yeah, leading up to that, you're volunteer at Georgetown and an NAIA driving back and forth, 45 minutes an hour each way, doing whatever needs to be done in the middle of the night, washing laundry or rebounding for guys or whatever to, you know, it, it's so funny that some of these guys, the, the comfort level of these jobs and it's like, Hey, you know where I'm going to go? Hawaii Pacific, you know what they're going to pay me? Less than nothing compared to what it costs to live in Hawaii. My rent. That's that's what it is. A lot of spam and macaroni out there. Yeah, I can remember telling my parents, you know, I was getting ready to do that. And they thought I was, my dad thought I was a lunatic. I mean, he was, he was pissed. He was mad. Like he didn't like it because my dad is, you know, blue collar, uh, works crazy hours. My whole life he did that to provide for our family. My mom, um, just an unbelievable lady, and they've never left London, Kentucky. And all of a sudden, their only child tells them that they're going to Hawaii to coach basketball. They're like, what? And then I tell them how much I'm making, and they almost flipped out. Like, because we, you know, we don't come for money. They did, they, they made my life really good because they worked like crazy. And, you know, we, very humble beginnings. And it wasn't like I'm coming from, you know, we're millionaires. I'm just going out here to have some fun. I mean, this was, was it was a hard decision. So $1 a gallon milk. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that I made the decision uh, now. And and all that stuff, man. It's I, I joke around with recruits sometimes. I tell them I came so far from the bottom I couldn't even see the top. But you know, that's a, a Drake lyric. <laughs> They're like, I got you. I, don't, I think it's cheap. I don't know. But I, and, and it's true. And it's yeah. true, and I don't say that in a in a way, you know, a, a boastful way. It's just the facts of it. And and I, I tell our kids that our players because I want them to realize what I'm about. That's why I coach with the passion and energy and the accountability and the things we do is because I've I've had to fight and scrap for everything. And that's what our program's gonna be about. Because that's who I am. And and great programs reflect their head coach. So that's what that's what I fight for every day here. For sure. Well, Coach, and I think – go ahead, Thomas. I had a question. Um, I know you've, you've been in a lot of places, and I know we're, we're kind of going all over the map with, with your career here. Um, but coming from a player side, and now that I coach a lot of players in Nebraska and the Midwest and train, could you maybe speak on what, like, as a player and then maybe as a coach, like, what are, like, some monumental stops or things in your life that really help you become a head coach, if that, if that makes sense? Like, cause I, like everybody said, you're 37 years old. You're one of the hot up and coming coaches in the country. Is there any places that you've been that you really look back on that you think about daily or even as a player that you teach your kids daily? Yeah, I think, I think for sure. One, one thing I talk about a lot because burn the boats is our mantra. And there, there's three instances in my life that, 
that decisions were made and it was made with the with a burn the boat mentality. And I think all three of them changed my trajectory into the profession and and kind of made me who I am today and and got me to this point. And the first one was the Hawaii deal. Um, I had every reason in the world. I was still in college at Eastern Kentucky. I had to finish my degree online and I got done that December. And um, I had every reason in the world to say, you know, I probably shouldn't do this. It doesn't make sense. I don't have enough money to do this. But again, I, I dreamt of coaching since I was eight years old. And I had a chance to be a Division II assistant. Uh, it was for $8,000, but I was still Division II assistant. Yeah. And, and I rolled the dice and did it, so I burned the bolts. And I had to make it work because I went in debt $6,000. You literally burned the boat. You weren't yeah, you I mean, about I to get back from Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, I went in debt as much as I was making pretty much my salary. So I had to make it work. And then the second, the second situation came when I left Pikeville and went to Arkansas Fort Smith to work for Josh Newman, who's a good friend of mine, another great coach. He's at UTPB now. And um, I got the job and I was there about two and a half weeks. I was living with Hank Polone. You talk about Juco, dude. I was, we were both on staff together, yep. Hank. I, and um, we were out there and I got a call. Um, Brian Cloman, who's at Winthrop, had a relationship with Cliff Ellis. At the time, uh, Brian was running a recruiting service and um, trying, to, trying to crack into coaching. He had a relationship with Coach Ellis. Coach Ellis wanted somebody that could recruit uh, – juco in the south and transfers and, and that was kind of my calling card um so he called me and i didn't know cliff ellis obviously i knew who he was he's a future hall of famer and i grew up watching his auburn teams and clemson teams but he called and you know he said are you interested in coming to interview he didn't know i was at fort smith and i said well i took this fort smith job I've been here about two and a half weeks three weeks but yeah i want to interview and he's like all right you know we'd love to have you down and get to know each other. So I went to Josh Newman and asked him, you know, hey coach, I hate to do this, but it's a division one job. I've always, it's my dream to be a division one assistant coach. Can I go interview? And he told me if you go interview, you better get the job. So I went back and I was like, oh man, I was shell shocked. So I talked to my girlfriend at the time, it was my wife now, uh, Jess, and asked her opinion. We talked about it and I reached out to a couple other people. And, and then I just said, you know what, man, I'm going to burn the boats. And, you know, that's – and I went in, despite Cliff Ellis told me, he said – he because I told him I was getting ready to do it. And he said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Because he didn't want to, he didn't want those blood on his hands. <laughs> so I went in the next morning, turned in my letter of resignation, got in my car, drove 15 hours cross country um, overnight, got there, interviewed Friday, Saturday, um, left on Sunday. He told me, let me know in a week. It was the most oh, stressful geez. week I've ever had. And um, I, I got the job, obviously. And then I was into Division One basketball as an assistant, which is something that's really hard to do. And um, I was prepared, too, because of the years of Pikeville and the, and the years of Hawaii Pacific and all those. So I was ready to go. Um, I think I was 25 at the time. So the third one, you know, I went from Coastal Carolina to Eastern Kentucky, which I, was my alma mater. I went to work for Coach Newbauer for a year. Thought I'd be there for a while. Ended up going to UAB with Jared Haas uh, for two years. And then I went to Clemson with Coach Brownell for, for two years. So after my first year at Clemson, Northern Kentucky came open. And I interviewed at, in Indiana at um, 
got to Fieldhouse, and I got through the first round. And then there was the finals at Northern Kentucky, and it was me, John Brannon, and Laval Jordan. So a, a really, it was a really great group. And we interviewed, and uh, and John got the job. And I was crushed. I'd never not – I'd every interview I'd ever been on, I'd got the job. And uh, I didn't get it, and I was crushed. So I said, I, listen, if I, I'm, I'm ready to be a head coach. I know I am. So at the end of the second year, I got – I was sitting at home and Nickel State came over. And I had no clue where Nickel State was. Not <laughs> I, I could for a million dollars, I could not have told you what state that Nickel State was in. And I looked it up, saw a guy on staff that I had recruited. He was he was their compliance guy, Andrew Kearney, associate AD compliance guy. I'd recruit him to Hawaii Pacific and end up not getting him. And anyway, he um he plugged me in there a little bit and they told me they were going to hire a Louisiana guy. And I told them, you know, if you want to keep doing what you're doing, just keep doing what you've been doing. But if you want to get outside the box, give me a chance and I'll get it turned around. Cause I didn't have anything to lose. Why not? I could just say whatever. And if he said no, then I'd just go back to be assistant Clemson. But anyway, they let me come down there and interview and they offered me the job. And um, I actually told them I didn't think I was going to do it. Because my wife did, was dead against it. She she probably get mad at me saying that on here, but she was dead against it. So anyway, I'm sitting in an event in Atlanta. It's April recruiting, and the AD calls back, and offers me, uh, I think it was ten more thousand dollars, and the money had nothing to do with it, you know. Because right. ultimately, I took I think it was seventy five thousand dollars or eighty thousand dollars pay cut from being an ACC assistant to go be a, the head coach at Nickel State. And um, that was the third burn the boats. I just said, when he did that, I said, man, they really want me here. And I just, it's like a sign. Like sometimes, you know, there's signs that God wants to be a certain place. And I, and I did it and I went. And, you know, my wife ended up loving it there. I loved it there. Cajun people are unbelievable down in Thibodeau, Louisiana. And we won a championship, but I just burned the boats. I left the ACC, left being comfortable. Um, that's something I talk about all the time with people. You can't live life comfortable. You just can't. I said to my team today, I said, you know, we got, we got too many guys right now that prefer to, they, they're, they're, they want to be comfortable instead sure. of doing what it takes to win. And you can't, if you're going to win, you're not going to be comfortable very often. You, you see that a lot with, with especially high major assistants that, that are looking for that first job. And, and I bring you up a lot when talking to different guys about jobs and stuff and like, that's elite to, to take the pay cut, to, to take over a program that hasn't been very good uh, to do the things that you did. And it's, and it's funny. I remember talking to you when you first got that job and somehow we started talking about recruiting budget, you know, to go around and do stuff. And there, I feel like there was a kid out of Wyoming or something that we were talking about. And, and, uh, the, the, I said, you know, what's the recruiting budget like? And I, you said something along the lines of it depends on how the bake sale that week goes. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I was listen like, to this, listen, to this. our recruiting budget was $1,000. <laughs> That's a factual number. The lowest in the country at the division one level, $1,000. I kid you not. I fundraised. I, I, I used to joke. I was full-time fundraiser, part-time coach when I was there. And, uh, and it's not because the administration there is incredible. The town is incredible. And I was lucky enough to get connected with some people there that could help us, that, that really cared about the institution and believed in what we were doing. And they helped us financially. 
uh, to be able to recruit normally, to be able to get out and go to some of these events and to be able to bring kids on official visits. But yeah, yeah there was one time you tell me, I said that to you, I was talking to Jerry Carrillo at a, at a coaches one time and I called him and I said, Hey man, I love, you know, whatever player it was. I love it. And he was like, yeah, well, I've not seen you out here or I didn't see it in the gym breeze. And I was like, yeah, I've not been there. I said, I've been, on, you know, I've watched every basket that he's made every turnover, every assist, every rebound. I said, I know his game better than those guys that were sitting there at the gym breeze. Cause they're sitting there talking to each other probably. Yeah, watched, yeah, they were. <laughs> and he loved it. Like he still talks about it to this day. He's like, man, I love that approach of the, you know, you were just, you know, watched him play. And I offered the kid off film at Nichols. I had to do that some there. Uh, some, yeah, <laughs> I know a lot of those offers were. Yeah, the majority of the time. Heck, I was trusting you, man. I still do trust. You. <laughs> I, I can at least go see the kids now without a problem. But you know, and and that's part of it too. When you when you take a risk, you take one of these jobs with a lower budget and and your resources aren't as good. You got to really have meaningful relationships, guys that you trust, and um, you get you got to operate every day with no excuses. I think that's the other thing we fall into a trap guys fall into in coaching is the, the place they're at. Uh, no place is perfect. Uh, no. It's anywhere. You know, yeah. some of them are probably close to perfect when you get to that, you know, upper echelon. But you, you just can't have excuses. I, I used to tell my staff at Nichols, none of this is an excuse. Like, we we can win. And, yeah. and I believe that. It, it, if you pour everything you have into it and you know what you're doing, you can give yourself a chance to win anyway. And that's why I took Nickel State. You know, I, I believed in what we could do. I hired a really good staff, and um, and we attacked it, and we were able to win and, and get a get a great opportunity here at South Alabama. Well, and it's interesting too because so many guys talk about like, oh, this you know can't go there. It's an unwinnable job. It's a, you know, I I don't know if there's such a thing as an unwinnable job. You know, we'll talk about it a little bit more later with, you know, some of the transfer stuff, but just about about being a diverse recruiter, depending on, on where you're at. I mean, shoot, you guys have been about as diverse as you can get. Like if there's a player that can play, y'all are going to look at them, you know, no, there's no question. it doesn't matter where they're from. Yeah. I'm a believer in that too is, you know, I, I feel like, and, and part of it is maybe, you know, dumb confidence that I have, but I feel like we can, I, I, I do feel like that. I think, you know, if you leave no stone unturned and you work relentlessly, yeah. And and you eliminate all options of failure. And I've I've always done that throughout my career. I have to find a way to be successful. And whatever that is, whether it's time, whether it's whatever, it goes into what we need to do. And um, I've I've aligned myself with some really good people with the staffs that I've hired. Um, obviously, they they're a huge part of what we do and a huge reason that we've had success at Nickel State and and at South Alabama. And, and the thing I tell people, I tell my own staff this all the time, if you get a Division One head coaching job, you better take it. Yeah. If, you're, if you want to be a head coach, now, if, if you really desire to be a head coach, not, if you can take it or leave it, then don't, then don't do it. For Just sure. Stay. Because there's some unbelievable – the way they're paying assistants out there at the, at the Power 5 level right now is, is ridiculous. And, and, and some guys may have something financial where they have to – stay and do that. I, I'm not judging anybody that doesn't want to no. do that, but we also can't say, well, I can't, I, I'm not getting an opportunity, you know, right. or I've slept on like a lot, like a lot. Of <laughs> you know, if, if you want to take one of the ones that not a lot of people want, there wasn't a million yeah. people knocking down the door to get to Nickel State. And, well, uh, and I mean, you know, the, the, the relatively short period of time that you were in Nickel State, it's go in, show you what I can do, win, flip it, 
and, you know, take that opportunity, you know, whatever that next opportunity is. I mean, you were, I think the first time we actually sat down together and like met each other in person was at uh, Hutch and you were still at Nichols and, but we were talking about that next job, you know, and it was, it was just, you know, I, I remember, I remember thinking when I met you, just even in a simple conversation, our very first like real conversation in person, uh, just that passion in your voice for what you were doing right there. And then, you know, we got, we got Rose sitting there and we're just talking and we're, you know, whatever, but like hearing you talking about what's going on at Hutch and the passion in that, and then talking about what you're building towards and talking about what you guys have accomplished so far. And every single thing you were talking about had all this passion behind it. I'm like, good luck. You're exhausting. <laughs> yeah and, and, and that's and, that burn the boats though it's like hey boat. here we go that's an everyday approach and it, it's an everyday approach and it wear it wears on sometimes <laughs> it wears on my team because i'm always like that and you know it's an adjustment period for guys sometimes to get used to that yeah but you know back to back to the job at Nichols. i mean i i knew i didn't have a choice again i didn't have a golden ticket i wasn't yeah. a great player I didn't have like a pedigree that, you know, ADs really look for. I, I took an opportunity that I, you know, I was going to take any opportunity, but I, I took that opportunity and ran with it once I got my foot in the door sure. and, um, and was able to get it. I'm still thankful to Rob Bernardi, who was AD at the time uh, for giving me a chance. Well, uh, it's like I told TP when he was talking about, you know, coming to work for you, he says, you know, I got this, I got this, gig it shorter and you know it might turn into this that and the other thing and i said you know i don't i don't know richie all that well I've, I've, i haven't known him all that long but from what i know like you're crazy if you don't go take that job and, and I'm glad that, yourself. I him that. He's, <laughs> he's been unbelievably valuable for us uh he's 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 really really good he's underrated. Well, it's aligning yourself with somebody that gets it that wants it that you know takes care of their guys that you know i already knew by that point you take care of your kids and all that stuff. Cause I knew the different players and stuff. And so it's, you know, for, for young coaches that are out there listening to this thing and, and, you know, there's so much to be said about aligning yourself with the right person. That was a conversation that TP and I had is, Hey, who are you going to, who are you going to hit your wagon to, you know, with this thing where like you were working with happy and, and you were working there at Pikeville with the right guys and, and, and all that sort of thing. And, and that's, that's a huge part of this deal. You know, we're not talking, it's not a golden ticket, but it sure helps when you got a good dude that you work for and, you know, guy that gets it like you do. So that was, and it does. And we, and I take it very serious too, just like the kids that I coach, those guys are family for life. And I'm a, you know, there's not anything I wouldn't do to help them, whether it's now or, 20 years from now, it's the same thing as my staff. You know, one of the cool things is Austin Clanch is now the head coach at Nichols State. Won 21 games last year. Um, we'll have a team with a chance to win it this year. I might have won it last year if COVID wouldn't have canceled the season. Yep. And um, I want to keep doing that. I want our branches to grow like crazy. I want to have a lot of head coaches. I want all these guys on my staff, whether it's Roe or Adam or TP, I want those guys to be um, head coaches sooner than later. Coach, I had a question for you. I know about you. Brandon knows about you. Obviously, coaches around the country know a lot about you. We're in the Midwest. There's a lot of good talent up here. What would you tell people? What is Richie Riley at South Alabama? What what what, what is making you guys successful? What is your brand? What is what is you? Yeah, I would tell them you're playing for a guy that, you know, 
loves you unconditionally. That relationship that I have with my guys uh, is is unconditional. It's a it's a situation where if you average two points a game, or if you average twenty points a game, you're family for life. You're treated like that every day. Now every day is not fun because I coach you really hard. And I hold you accountable, but I do that because I genuinely care about you and want you to be the best you can be. And I think that's, I think that's really different, a difference in our program versus a lot of places is I don't ever tell kids what they want to hear. I tell them what they need to hear. Yeah. And I tell that's those the only guys, way to be fair to them. I'm no, it is what they need to hear. And it takes guys a minute to get used to that. But our guys grow so much when they're here with the culture that we have. And it's because we spend so much time with them. We pour everything. That's my staff, too. I've got a great staff. We've got a big staff here. Like, we've got – the size of our staff is comparable to most power fives. And, um, and we, we pour into so much energy. And, and we get guys better because of the attention to detail and, and just the, the time we put into them. And that's not just on the court. Like, obviously, we see we, – our skill development, I put it up against anybody in the country – uh, we play a unique brand of basketball and um, and all that. But the thing I'm most proud of is how we how we help these guys grow up in the bend. You know, when they leave this place, they're ready to take on the world, whether it's hooping, you know, overseas, an NBA, whatever it is. But like work, like so, everybody's not going to be a pro. It'd right. be nice if I had 13 pros. You know, that <laughs> we're all going to play in the NBA. If yeah. I was like Coach Cal and could sit there and watch four or five guys in the playoffs, like he did. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't have that. And so I want our guys to be equipped with the skills to go and be successful in whatever they do. And I think that's something that we really preach. And I think it's important. For sure. It's awesome. Well, let's jump into, uh, I think it's trivia time, Thomas. Is it trivia time? Yes, sir. I'm ready. Don't destroy me, man. Take it Ooh. easy. Now, now you, you know, you've heard on the show before. These, these aren't easy. This is, this is Richie Riley trivia, but is it? Is it really Richie Riley trivia? So it it is it is in theory all connected to Coach Richie Riley. So oh, I love it. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dive in here, and this is this is you versus Thomas, because I tell you what, uh, when I used to to participate in this, I think I was Ofer, and <laughs> and so you know I think I won one, and that was the last one, and I just kind of hung it up at that point, and you know wanted to finish on top. So. Um, basically this is this is you both get to answer um you know I, there's these are some toughies these are these are these are some tough ones so we're gonna we're just gonna kick it off here and i'll keep score and hope i don't screw this up um <laughs> All right, what are we doing alternating turns or is like yeah buzzing? yeah you, you're gonna go you're gonna go first you're gonna go All first right, and then the next question he'll go first all right and uh you both get to answer though okay so here we go guys Coach Riley's first Division I job came at Coastal Carolina, where he served as an assistant from 2009 to 2011. Now get ready. This thing's about to take a weird left turn. The okay. former junior college, I don't know anybody new out there, that Coastal Carolina used to be Coastal Carolina Community College back in the day, okay. uh, changed their mascot from the Trojans to the, and I always thought it was Chanticleers. It's actually Chanticleers. It is Chanticleers. It is Chanticleers. So they changed it from the Trojans to the Chanticleers because they wanted to be closer to the South Carolina school system that they were part of. Yes. A Chanticleer is a rooster from Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. Now, Thomas went to William and Mary, so he might have read this thing because um, <laughs> I know he didn't read it in high school. <laughs> what city 
was Chaucer born in? Oh my goodness, man! I I have no clue. Might have tapped out. Oh, there he is. No you you froze up there, I coach. I have no clue. You got no. You just pick just pick a city. This is I'm this is this now. is one of the greatest poets of the Middle Ages. Obviously. Oh, did, did you pick one, Richie? Any city? It, j- just pick a, a city. city and what? Where are we at? Come on, dude. Man, he's a me- he's a medieval poet. Uh, well, I Manchester. can tell you, it's not in the United Manchester. States. What? Manchester. Manchester. Okay. Uh, this on me. Yep. Uh, let's go with. Um, let's go with Liverpool. Liverpool. You are both wrong. Uh, the correct answer is London. And, oh, and London, London England. Obviously, it's not the same hometown, but it is the same name. <laughs> well, yeah, England's only 400 miles long. So now we're, we're not going to give anybody that one. Fortunately, we got some we got some tiebreakers coming up here as well. So um, he's got a, if, the, if the questions are in those in those categories, he's got an advantage. He went to William and Mary and then he went true. to Birmingham Southern. <laughs> I, I went to Eastern Kentucky for four years. Don't and worry. We, we dive got more. Lucky, the- we got lucky to get out of there with with a degree we we got into the basketball side i just wanted to give the the listeners a little bit of history lesson on the chanticleer because um you know when they went division one football which is really kind of when the whole country was exposed to them nobody had any idea what a chanticleer was (laughs) it's crazy my my first year i didn't know it was a chanticleer either i I thought it was chanticleer yeah well that's what they call him in uh there's like a cartoon rooster movie anyways uh (laughs) second question uh, Thomas, you're up first here. Yep. This one's a doozy. Uh, Coach Riley was an assistant at UAB during the 2013-14 season in which the Blazers defeated number 16 ranked North Carolina. How many players from that North Carolina roster in that game would go on to be drafted? Bonus question, who were they? The 2013? Yep. So the, the 2014 uh, draft essentially is when it would start. Um, and, and anybody that was on that roster that would end up being drafted at some point. Oh, jeez! How many and who were they? How many and who were they? Is that the, oh my gosh. I'm going to say two. Two and was it Page and McAdoo? Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. Okay. What we got, I'm Coach? Going, I'm going with four: Page, McAdoo, Bryce Johnson, and Kenny Meeks. So, Coach Riley is going to win this question by this much. Uh, the correct answer is three. <sighs> um, and those three players were Marcus Page, Bryce Johnson. And you guys probably never would have guessed J.P. Takoto. J.P. Takoto was on that team. Yeah, like 58th maybe, like right at the end. The, the, real, the real double down throwback at you question is, oh boy, <laughs> how many junior college players global was in the starting lineup for that UAB team? Uh, four. 
Four is correct. You're right. It was four. <laughs> it was four. Chad Frazier had like 25 points, man, and was was the best player on the court that night. He played I'm not game. even playing, and I'm already tied with Coach oh, Riley. Look at that. I didn't, I didn't know that you were not. It was the Juco guys against the Mickey D's All-Americans, and we found a way to win that night. I like it. I like it. Wasn't it. A seven game, I'm glad it wasn't a seven-game series. Might have been the 28-11 to 11 free throw disparity, but, hey, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, next question. Uh, South Alabama has had five players play in the NBA, the most successful of which was Terry Catledge who averaged 13 points per game and six rebounds per game over a career that spanned from 1985 to 1993. How many teams did he play for and who were they? Coach Riley, you are up first. Oh, that's tough, man. I'm going to say that was before my time. Obviously I know Terry Catledge and all the pros that we've had here. Um, Cliff Ellis actually coached Terry Catledge here. Um, I'm going to say five. I'm going to say the Nuggets, the Trailblazers, the Bullets, the, the Lakers, and the Clippers. I have no clue. But I, I'm guessing five in those teams. All right. What do we got, Thomas? So how many NBA teams did he play for? Yep. And who were they? Oh, my gosh. Brandon. Such I a... told you this is going to be a hard one. I even said the oh. I'm going to go with – Four. There's no way he played that long. Four teams. Let's go with the Bullets, the Magic, the Celtics, and I don't know, the Warriors. Thomas will win this question by being the closest. Played for three teams the 76ers, the Bullets, and the Magic. Thomas got Thomas got the yeah, Bullets. I knew the Bullets. I was comfortable with the Bullets. So we got we got a tie here. Fortunately, being the the, the preparer that I am, <clears throat> we have a bonus question. All right, here we go. Now I don't know if any of you guys are going to get this, so we're going to just kind of go with whoever is geographically closer, I suppose. Terry was actually a JUCO player before attending South Alabama. What junior college did he go to? I mean, no. Is he, who's is coach first or me? Uh, let's go. Coach, you ready? He looks like he's thinking. You're up, Thomas. <laughs> what what junior college did he go to? Yeah. Oh, I got to believe it's somewhere in either Alabama or Mississippi. Um, scuba. I don't even know if that he was in the round. <laughs> so, where do you say? East Mississippi? He's, yeah. Scuba. <laughs> I'm a gosh. I feel like I should know this. Like Coach Kells probably told a story about recruiting Terry Catledge or something sometime, <laughs> or but I don't. I don't know it. I'm gonna go with San Jack. Say went all the way to Texas from out over here all the way to Texas. Thomas is our winner uh, by this? geographical proximity. He played at Itawamba in Mississippi. Itawamba, Mississippi. Itawamba. I thought it could be. I thought it was right. He was right. I thought it could be Mississippi, Alabama. Then I was like, man, like maybe they somebody came over here and got him. Thomas, Texas. the comeback kid, wins the Richie Riley Ch trivia challenge. Cue the music, ladies and gentlemen.
go. There's there's the there's the Richie Riley trivia challenge. And uh, Thomas, good good job with the comebacker. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm just looking forward to me and Coach Riley and Brandon meeting up in Biloxi or somewhere South Alabama and get some some good Southern food. I miss yeah. it, man. You got to make that happen. He can. He can. You guys brought me on your show and and gave me an L, man. We didn't even practice <laughs> today, and now I'm taking an L tonight. I got to go home. Just, just, just hey, quit. Kendrick Kendrick Perkins uh, answered himself as being drafted by the Celtics during his trivia challenge, and he actually wasn't drafted by the Celtics. So, so <laughs> you're doing you're doing all right. He slammed his head right down on the desk as soon as he said it. He said, "Why did I say that stupid shit?" <laughs> Uh, but now you guys know where Chaucer's from. So, you know, there you go. Little, little extra trivia for you. Yes. Um, coach, let's, we're going to jump into la- last bit here, a little bit about uh, current events in, in college basketball. And the, the first thing that I want to talk about real quick is the transfers. And, you know, they haven't voted yet on that part. I, I think it, it seems to be a, a foregone conclusion that, that this one-time free transfer is going to happen. Uh, you know, from, from the time I've known you with uh, Kamani Jackson transferring from Colorado State to Nichols uh, to, to now, I know transfers have, have been an important part of the success you've had. Maybe speak a little bit about kind of your thoughts on the, on the transfer situation as it is now uh, and this whole waiver thing and all that to, to really kind of where we're headed with it's, it's going to be this free transfer and that, you know, creates a whole different, I guess, strategy. It does for sure. And yeah, since I've been a head coach, I'm entering year five of being a head coach, two years at Nichols, and this will be starting year three here. We've signed 23 transfers. Um, that rivals almost anybody. Me and Musk probably are, are up there right at the top. And um, we have a good mix of Juco guys and high school kids too. But it's obviously um, an area that we, we target and we hit very hard and we've had a lot of success with it. So I, I feel like I'm pretty – pretty in the know most of the time with with the transfer process and what's going on and 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 I'm a supporter believe it or not of this and um it's not because we recruit the market really hard it's um you know each kid's journey is different and each kid earns the opportunity despite what some people think they earn the opportunity to have the scholarships and the situation that they're in and and I get it they make a decision to go to these places right um, but there's a lot of variables that change. Um, you know, again, believe it or not, kids usually sign to go to institutions based on the coach. That's usually what happens. Coaches sometimes leave. Um, that's a variable that that's not talked about enough. Coaches leave. And then sometimes when you're when you're making a decision and you're a 17 year old kid or a 20 or any time 18 to 22 year old kid, you don't make the best decision sometimes. So. I love the fact that they're getting that one-time opportunity to not be penalized right. and to be able to go um, and make a second decision now that they've grown a little bit and seen some things uh, to try to finish their career, something they've worked for um, in a way where they're going to be happy in a way that can best benefit their future. Now, is there going to be problems with it? Is there going to be more of them? There certainly will. I mean, that's just, that's going to be part of it. It's going to be a different animal than what we're used to. Uh, but I'm in this thing for the kids. I think anytime you're not and you're in this profession, you're in it for the wrong reasons. And uh, I always tell our guys at the end of the year meetings, I want what's best for you. Uh, I'm not going to send a kid out of here and take a scholarship because he hadn't been as good a player as I wanted him to be. 
Um, and I'm not going to hold a kid up because he's not happy here or he wants to go somewhere else and play more. Um, I want everybody to, you know, you get a chance to write your own story, go ahead. And um, I've always been a big proponent of that with guys that I've coached. So I actually like the new rule. I think it's going to be a little bit tricky and you got to learn to navigate your roster and you got to uh, dive into it and understand it. But I do think it's, it's going to be good for student athletes, which is the most important thing. Well, and I think at the end of the day too, I mean, it, for somebody that recruits as many transfers as you do, you're just as susceptible to losing no uh, a transfer as anybody else. Um, and, no and especially at the level that you're at too, that mid-major level is, you, you know, you're, you're getting it from both sides, <laughs> you know? It is, and I, you know? I think you got to do a good job of, of navigating that. You know, I've, I've got asked that a lot on this topic when I've been, you know, on different things. And the thing is, it all comes back to you if, you if you do your homework and you do your job. You know, you may have a freshman that's elite. Yeah, he comes in, he's freshman of the year and averages 20 a game. Um, and, and you lose him to a power five school and he goes somewhere and he realizes, you know, it may be, it, that might've been his dream school his whole life. And he didn't, they, you know, they didn't take that chance on him out of high school, but now he goes and does that. Then maybe you get somebody from that league that averaged seven or eight. And they've got two years left to play, and they want to have a bigger role. So they come to the mid-major level where they can have a bigger role and their production can go up. You just got to be really strategic how you how you build your roster. And um, I think we've always done that. I think we've been very strategic and tried to get the right pieces and and um, and put it together the right way to try to lead to winning. So I, I think I think it'll be adjustment for some people. But um, if if you're if you're really into the market of, of transfers. I think you'll have a pretty good pulse of what you need to do and how to, how to navigate through it. Well, and I think the other thing that coaches just have to be really prepared for is whatever happens, be, be ready to be dynamic with your own recruiting and, and, you know, be able to, you know, pull a rabbit out, I guess, if, if, yeah, if you got to, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of times when you and I are talking about players, it's not even necessarily for something that's, that's an immediate need right there. It's just kind of learning the landscape and what's available out there and what, you know, may happen or may not happen. And, you know, all those kinds of things. And, and definitely like being prepared further ahead of time is something I think a lot of guys are going to just have to like really work on and, and get better at that. You know, if something happens, it's not just catastrophic disaster, right? Because no, it's, sure. I mean, at this point, it's going to be taken out of their hands as far as whether they want to sign off and approve it or, or not, you know, it's, it's done. <laughs> yeah I've always as a head coach and I was like this is an assistant too I always had worst case scenario in my mind what could happen um and and then you're prepared for the worst and you've got a contingency plan based on if, if this happens then I'm I'm ready to you know go to a b c whatever it's going to be right and I think that's a good you got to look at it that way now every year because there could be so much shakeup on your roster that you have to have worst case scenario and be prepared for that so that you're not caught off guard like you were saying right well and then the you know the next thing uh, uh I, I guess that that'll be the hot topic is this uh, everybody getting a year back and um you know with covid and and all of that stuff and and then if you know all these things kind of come together you're going to have everybody getting a year back plus the free transfer poor, poor Nathan at verbal commits his fingers are going to be on fire <laughs> by the time this thing's done and adjusting everybody's classes. And uh, yeah, I might, we're going to have to get him a, a buddy to <laughs> just sit there and bang out yeah. tweets with him. Um, but, yeah. you know, I, I think, I think at the end of the day, it's got to happen, 
right? I mean, it's just, we got no flipping idea what's going to go on. I mean, everybody's trying to operate practice as best they can with three players or five players or masks or no masks and, you know, just the experience of everything and, and, you know, everybody getting this year back. I think what's going to be interesting is if everybody gets their, their year back there for, for division one, how they address and adjust for that junior college space where it's, you know, do all those guys also get a year back and then getting the NCAA to agree that they also don't count that Juco year as a year of eligibility. And then the final thing being, if you got a bunch of three year Juco kids, you can't be requiring 72 hours of transferable credits. There's no way. I mean, you just, there's so few schools that can actually pull that off from, from 72 Juco credits. You know, if they were a D one guy, it's a little different, but you know, no, you're right. This rule, this rule is a game changer, um, more so for the junior college kids and the high school kids in the class of 21. And if okay. there's not something adjusted, I, I agree with you. I saw that with the junior college um, tweet you sent out. You were talking about it the other day. And um, it's – I don't know what they'll do. I don't know how they can maneuver it with NCAA and the rules and this and that. But it's – I'm number one, I'm in favor of the rule. I, I think that we should give these guys essentially a free year um, from an eligibility standpoint because we don't know how it's going to unfold. It's just going to be weird anyway. Yeah. Even if and, we play, it's not going to be your normal. No, no. And football is doing it. Yeah. And, you know, the fall sports. Are doing it. So it's, I mean, I think it's a no brainer. Now, how do we adjust? Um, because a lot of the schools, this is something that, you know, junior college, you know, because you know junior college basketball better than anybody in, in the world. A lot of the schools that a lot of these JUCO kids may go to could be potentially low, mid, low to mid. Mm-hmm. Will they have the higher level of scholarships or will their institutions hold them accountable to only having 13? Yeah. You know? And if that yeah, that's going to be the, tra- the trick. Yeah, if that happens um, – at some of these places, it's going to limit opportunities. Yeah, You know, I, I was telling these, some of these high school coaches that I know, and, you know, they're talking about recruiting. And same thing with some of the JUCO guys that I know. If you've got a kid right now that, that's a good player and he feels comfortable with the school, then don't be afraid to pull the trigger, man, because like, yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. Late's going to be weird, man. It's, it's going to be really weird. weird. If, they, if they don't make an adjustment like you're talking about, it's going to be really well, if, weird. If they do. If they say, if they say, all right, uh, South Alabama, um, you've got, let's say you had two seniors and, you know, it, and, and you got two that, that are definitely going to come back and the NCAA comes out and says, all right, well, that means we're going to let South Alabama carry 15 scholarships instead of 13 scholarships. That doesn't mean the administration in any of these schools is going to agree to that. That's, that's two more scholarships worth of money coming out of a COVID situation where guys are trying to find money in the first place. You know, it's there'll be some schools that say, yeah, fine, whatever. There'll be other schools that say, like, we just can't afford it. You know, there'll be a lot of them that say that. Um, you know, obviously, we're fortunate here. Uh, we, we've got a great administration, great, great athletic director, Joel Erdman. And, and I think, I think our dudes are going to be fine. We'll be able to, to do all that. But there's a lot, you know, when you've coached all over the country, like, like I have different budgets, this and that, there's yeah. a lot that aren't going to be able to do it. Yeah. And, how how that plays out, I don't know. And um, that's something that's going to have to be addressed. And, you know, because I, I am with it. I think, you know, like you're saying, we don't know how it's going to play out. And, and guys should be able to – and I think it also helps guys to maybe not want to opt out 
You know, I think yeah. that's the thought process with it a little bit is, yeah. you know, you're basically getting a free year. Yeah. So you can play. And, I saw you know. one today. I've seen a couple here and there, but not, yeah. not, not many. And it hasn't become a contention point yet like it was in football. Uh, no, for sure. I think the comfort level with the kids goes up a lot, knowing that this year doesn't yeah. count if you yeah. only get to play 15 games or something. So yeah. I, I like the rule. I just think hey, I'm really, you know, uh, I'm interested to see how, how it plays out with, with the class of 2021, especially when you add, when you add the other part of the transfers being immediately eligible thrown in this whole mix, it's like, it's a lot. Well, those are the tough conversations you're gonna have to have with like, you got, let's say three or four seniors on your team. When do you have that conversation? Hey, Johnny, are you going to be here next year? Coach, I'll let you know in six months. Well, <laughs> we got to sign somebody if you're not going to be here. Well, I don't really need to tell you. Give me six months. Like, how do you have those conversations? I mean, they shouldn't be that hard, but at the same time, guys don't have to tell you immediately. I so think coaches are about to find out and kids are about to find out just how strong those relationships are. We were talking about where no you know, you're, you're in tune with what your kids are thinking or doing or what's going on in their life all the time, because you and I both know there are plenty of head coaches that have no idea what's going on in those kids' yep. lives or what they're thinking about until they actually go sit in that chair. So there's no question. And, um, you know, it's, and I encourage our guys to be honest with me all the time. You know, I, I tell them, all, you're not going to hurt my feelings, man. Like, we're in this thing together. Yeah. The best thing, and the same thing in recruiting, I tell kids all the time, but, you know, the best thing, the second best thing you can tell me is no. You know, obviously the first best thing you can tell me is yes, you're coming. But, you know, <laughs> if you tell me no, I can move on and, yeah. and get somebody that can really help us instead of wasting a lot of time. But with our kids, once this rule goes through, you know, I'll have some talks with them. And um, I think it all depends. It gives us a quick look into being somewhere like Kentucky where there's a lot of one and dones, you know, <laughs> they're doing this every year who's, who's going to be a lottery pick, who's not. And yeah. uh, it's kind of, it's going to be different. You got to be really strategic in your approach. And I, th I think as a staff, we are that. So I think we'll be just yeah, fine. But 100%. It's definitely going to take, it's going to take some work and some thought and, and trying to be ahead of the curve as much as you can be. Absolutely. Off into the wilderness we go, man. We'll see what happens. Yes. My friend, I appreciate you coming on tonight and uh, and taking time out of your day to be with us. And uh, and I'm looking forward to getting down to seeing y'all as soon as we can. I'm going to hold you to that, man. Both hey, of you guys, I'm going to hold you to it. I know you got family time here. I'm going to hold you guys to that. We uh, we would love that. We'll, we'll roll out the red carpet. <laughs> Best seafood you've ever had. Um you just have you just have a time of your life. We'll get Thomas in there and smoke all your kids from three and make them think <laughs> about whether or not they should get the green light or not. <laughs> I love it. I appreciate you guys having me on again, and it, it means a lot that you guys would allow me to come on here and, and talk some with you about hoops and, and all the other fun stuff we've talked about. Yeah, you bet, Coach. Appreciate so you. Y'all take care, and we'll see you soon, all right? Thanks, guys. Be good.